As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. As we close the book on the NFC East, we finish things up with one of 2015's most surprising playoff teams in the NFC East defending division champion Washington Redskins. Can the Skins repeat as champs, or was 2015 a fluke? Mike Carrar from SB Nation's Hogs Haven joins us on the final NFC East preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. We have reached the final chapter of the NFC East, and it gives us to last year's surprise champion in the Washington Redskins. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back, part number four of our NFC East preview for our opponent preview shows for 2016 for our beloved Chicago Bears. And we're going to have uh, Mike Harar from Hogs Haven on uh, SB Nation to join us here uh, in a few moments. Now, I mean, a year ago at this time, you know, uh, I mean, even Mike did not have the most optimistic view of what 2015 was going to be for the Redskins. I mean, I think both of us were certain that we'd be talking about who the next head coach of the Washington Redskins would be, not Jay Gruden, defending division champion uh, going into this thing. And I'll make sure to bring that up when I when we have him on the show here in just a few minutes. And, um, you know, what a what a crazy year it was for the NFC East last year, completely upside down season where the Cowboys are the defending champs 12 and 4 a playoff team and it just seems like you know they were raring to go uh going into 2015 the skins were the unanimous decision as the worst team in football going I mean in the power rankings 32 with a bullet you know what I'm saying and uh you know for that thing to be completely upside down literally completely upside down the what the 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 Cowboys were in last place the skins were the playoff team last year what a crazy year it was for the NFC East. Going to have Mike on here in a few minutes to talk about what he thinks happened last year. Was it just the good fortune of everybody going, you know, everybody having a down year with injuries and poor play at the same time? Or, you know, did the Redskins really earn this thing? And we'll, we'll see how what he thinks and, and what the outlook is for uh, 2016 as, um, you know, here we are, show number 10. Show number 10 of 14. We're, we're, we're getting so close, and I've already got Jeremy Reisman, Evan Western, and Chris Gates on the books to uh, to finish up the NFC North, and then I'm still kind of working on who, who it is I want to have us to uh, you know have talked to us uh, about the Bears to to close out this uh, this journey that we've been on and I want to appreciate and thank you guys uh, for coming on this little journey with me and um, you know kind of cut corners last year only did eight preview shows last year uh, going into the uh, going into the season we had everybody from the NFC North one each from the um, from our from the NFC from the AFC West NFC West and then 
we had both of our same place opponents on last year, including Mike Carrar, who was uh, you know with the Redskins uh, last year. The Skins and the uh, the Bucks were our same place opponents last year. Um, you know, so that gave us that's uh, you know that was seven, and then the Bears made uh, with Jeff Dickerson made number eight. Uh, this year we're we're doing the whole shebang. Fourteen, all fourteen opponents, or all thirteen opponents, and the Bears uh, to uh, to to preview this. And uh, looks like we're going to be wrapping up just before training camp. Like right now, I am, I am scheduled to talk to Chris Gates, who since the since the the skin uh, the skins the the Vikings were the first place finisher in the NFC North. We're going to talk to Jeremy first. Then we're going to talk to Evan Western because they finished second with the Packers and then first place for the Skins. Scheduled to talk to him on the 16th, which is a Saturday uh, of July. So the show will either be out later that day or sometime that weekend. And then, uh, you know, the Bears show uh, finishing up that week. And then they go to training camp like the 27th. Uh, of July, so I'm literally going to be wrapping this thing up just days before the Bears take the field uh, in Bourbon and get ready for the uh, for the preseason and the the 2016 regular season. So it's it's all happening. It's all you know getting closer closer by the minutes, and uh, you know I'm just so jacked and ready to get started. Want to see what this new defense, you know, what these new additions on the defense are going to look like, and uh, you know, answer the big 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 question of. Can Jay do it without Adam Gase? You know, is Dole Loggins, uh, you know, is he going to be able to maintain or help Jay maintain? And, uh, you know, like I'm not – I know people have big question marks about Matt Forte and, and how much we're going to miss him. It's, I'm, I'm not one of those people. I mean, I'm not thinking that the Bears are going to thrive as much as they did with Forte, but I just don't think we're going to miss him as much as people do. I mean, I'm, maybe it's just overconfidence in Jeremy Langford, but uh, you know, we also have you know Howard that 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 you know uh, Howard that we drafted in the in the fifth round uh, this year. People thinking that that could be the steal of the class for the Bears. I mean, it happened last year. Our, uh, arguably, our best uh, our best draft pick last year was Adrian Amos. We got him in the fifth round uh, from Penn State. Could it happen second year in a row uh, with Howard, the running back uh, from Indiana? you know being being the stud of our draft class this year i mean that would be a huge uh feather in the cap for for ryan pace if he keeps finding these gems in the later rounds but um anyway we're here to talk about the redskins we're gonna have mike harari on here in just a moment to uh to talk about the skins and uh you know what the hell happened in 2015 and, and what they have looked forward to uh in 2016 um you know, no news to report on on the Bears uh, side of things. Everybody's managing to stay out of trouble. Uh, no, no roster moves or anything like that. And thankfully, knock on wood, uh, nobody in the Bear family has uh, has passed away uh, or anything like that. So uh, I think we're we're good to go to uh, to just move on ahead and bring in our good friend Mike Carrar from Hogs Haven on SB Nation to talk about the 2016 Redskins and uh, where he sees this season going. And to help us close the book on the NFC East uh, division, we, we have Mike Carrar from, from Hogs Haven to talk about the Washington Redskins. Mike, a 
a surprise 2015 division champion. I mean, I thought that maybe the Oakland Raiders had a better chance of winning the NFC East than the Redskins did last year. And uh, I mean, even when we were we had you on the 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 opponent preview last summer, we were talking about how the new GM Scott McLuhan and Jay Gruden. You know, McLuhan was playing the long game, trying to set up for long-term success where Gruden was in a must-win-now type situation where, like, thinking maybe this is a recipe for disaster. And maybe at this point when we're having this conversation now, we're talking about so-and-so, new head coach of the Washington Redskins, not Jay Gruden defending division champion. Yeah. um, First of all, thanks for having me back on this year. Uh, And actually, I think if you go back and listen to the tape, I did predict the Redskins would win the division and go on to lose the first round of the playoffs. I'm pretty sure I predicted that. Um, no, I mean, everything was um, – you know, that's the beauty of the NFL. Uh, you, when, when the season was starting, we were going into training camp in the preseason. Um, the Redskins are, are uh, naming RG3 the starting quarterback. And, yeah, when I talked to you at that time – uh, I I think what I said was correct. I think um, Jay Gruden, it was as a coach, had to win now. Um, and then you had Scott McLuhan uh, with that vision, with that three-year vision. And I think really what, what ended up being the biggest decision and best decision that Gruden made was right before, I want to say, the fourth preseason game or third preseason game, uh, he went ahead and named Kirk Cousins the starter. And that – blew everybody away. I mean, even though on the field it looked like Cousins was the better performer, um, but it really showed at that point that the Redskins were willing to give uh, Gruden enough enough rope to either uh, swing or to hang himself. And in the end, it ended up being that decision, and it was a gutsy one. It ended up being that decision that kind of made the year what it turned out to be, which was uh, a team that pulled it together at the last half of the season and went on to win the division. It ended up being a great year. So, I mean, do you think it was more than just the good fortune of basically the division crumbling down around them, like the Redskins just took advantage of a bad situation? Or, you know, what exactly was it that the Redskins did to, to kind of pull off the upset, if you will? Yeah. Um, no, I think, obviously, um, what your, the other teams in the division are doing um, is going to contribute. Fortunately for the Redskins, uh, the Cowboys were hit by the injury bug. You had Tony Romo basically out for a good portion of the season. Um, the Eagles just were falling apart. They were going through the Chip Kelly divorce, which we didn't even know was happening right in front of us at the time. A lot of people predicted Chip Kelly to uh, have another great year, and it, and it turned into a complete meltdown for them. And the Giants, again, injuries just you know were adding up, I think, and um, it turned out to be Tom Coughlin's swan song as well. So the NFL, you, you never know. And so you never know when a, th- you know, a three-win Chiefs team is going to go on to win the division the next year. Or, and I think I did talk about this, and that was kind of the only hope Redskins fans had going in was that the craziness of this league would boost them. And I know there were several people, um, and I'm not going to put myself completely in that category, but felt much better about things when Kirk Cousins got the starting nod because what he had shown on the field versus what um, Griffin had shown on the field. Um, And in the end, of course, it it completely paid off. I mean, the Redskins had their uh, handful of injuries as well. It wasn't like they got lucky necessarily from that standpoint. Um, They were dealing with a backup center and a backup left guard for most of the year. 
Um, the running attack struggled with that. Um, they, they never really were able to put together a good running attack for most of the season. Um, and in the end, they kind of won their game on the hands of a kind of a winging, uh, free-form offense where Kirk Cousins was, was playing elite football, especially in the last eight weeks of the year. Yeah, I mean, he really did kind of uh, really kind of turned it on. I, I was I was just, uh, you know, brushing up before we were before we started talking. And I read somewhere like in the last the last half of the season was something like 24 touchdowns and only three interceptions, you know, for yep. the last uh, yep. last good portion of the year. And I don't care what team you are, when your quarterback can do that, you're going to win football games. Well, exactly, and you have a, 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 one key cog to the whole offense was Jordan Reed. Uh, he, he missed four games, I want to say, or five games, but when he was on the field, he was producing. He ended up leading the team in reception, and he did what everyone had hoped he had, could do for a long time, which was basically stay healthy, enough to earn himself a brand-new contract. Um, and then you have you know, Deshaun Jackson, who also missed some games, but when he was on the field, he terrified defenses. He was always that home run threat. And he and Kirk Cousins got along very well. They had definite chemistry. Um, so, you know, in the end, I think the offense ended up showing more than what most people expected. And they were able to string together and get hot at the end of the year to pull it off. Uh, and then the team is hoping this year they've made some extra additions and have some injuries, um, so some injury, injured folks coming back that they'll be able to um, do that again all over this year. Uh, unfortunately, in the NFC East, repeat champions don't happen very often. Yeah, I was actually talking to uh, Brandon Gowden from Bleeding Green last week, and he said that exact thing. Like it's, it, I don't remember how long he said it's, it's been, but it's been quite a while since anyone in the NFC East has pulled off the back-to-back uh, division championship. Yeah, it's, it's something in the neighborhood of, 15 years, I want to say, but no, it just doesn't happen very often. And, um, you know, so the, you would think the odds are against, stacked against the Redskins, but when you look at what they did last year and then what they added to the team in the offseason from the draft, from free agency, um, the team hopes at least they've put themselves in a good position where, you know, uh, health, health, health concerns not being a factor – they should be um, they should be a team that will contend this year. You know, and I definitely think that that's uh, possible. Um, the one thing that I found interesting is that both of the divisions that the Bears are playing this year, the AFC South and the NFC East, you know, in 2015 at least, regarded as two of the worst divisions in football just based on you know, winning and losing uh, records and stuff like that, and not to mention both division champs were one and done uh, in the playoffs uh, last year. But it's like the AFC South, pretty much everybody in that division really went to work in the offseason and looking to try and prove, you know, free agency. The Jaguars hit up free agency and did big in the draft. The Titans went heavy in the draft. Um, you know, the Colts were more of a draft team. And then, of course, the, um, the Texans, Brock Osweiler and, and, you know, doing big with the, the free agency and then hitting up the draft as well uh, to try to improve the yeah. team speed. Then you look at the NFC East, 
similar situations, but mostly everyone is kind of standing firm. Aside from the Giants, everyone else in the division just kind of like is is retooling, you know, trying to get everybody back and healthy and pretty much standing firm. Aside from you guys going out and getting Josh Norman, everything else that you guys did was you either re-sign somebody or, you know, the, the free agency additions were kind of low-key aside from when you went right. big just before the draft and getting Josh Norman. Right, and there, there were some major concerns, especially in the secondary. Um, a lot of fans were hoping the team would go out and sign a couple of big-name free agent safeties. Um, they didn't really do that. And they did bring in um, David Bruton uh, from the Broncos. Um, we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, they're hoping that um, D'Angelo Hall will be able to continue his conversion from safety or from corner to safety. Um, and so a lot of fans were slightly concerned with the defensive secondary um, at right immediately following free agency because it didn't look like, it, like they had done a lot there. And then, of course, very similar to how the Deshaun Jackson um, situation happened, um, Josh Norman gets let go in a very strange way, and the Redskins swoop in and grab him. And all of a sudden, their defensive secondary looks a whole lot better. Yeah, I mean, and, and the funny thing is, uh, I don't think people really realize the kind of defense that the Redskins play, that it's very similar to what the, the Panthers do as far as it being kind of more of a, a zone defense, which is what he thrived in in, in Carolina. Right. That's how he earned uh, this big contract. I think a lot of people were dismissive of the signing because it was the Redskins and because Daniel Snyder has this reputation of making these irresponsible free agency acquisitions by just throwing money at whatever free agent happens to be out there a la Albert Hainsworth or even you know if you go back a few like that one offseason he decided to sign Deion Sanders and Bruce Smith at the same time you know like he just automatically purchased the oldest team in the NFL that one offseason yeah I think that reputation um while well-earned, um, is probably pretty old at this I would say it doesn't really apply anymore. Um, I mean, especially when, when Scott McLuhan came in, um, he was considered one of the best in the business. And while he hasn't necessarily struck full with every free agent signing and every draft pick, he has still brought um, kind of an air about the team where if you look, the players don't just like Jay Gruden. Um, they actually, you see, you see Scott McLuhan giving hugs and high fives for the players on the way out. He has created more of, a, I would say, a team-friendly, a family-friendly almost atmosphere um, to the point where you, you just get the feeling that the adults are in charge and it's not just Dan Snyder playing fantasy football. So, you know, even to the point where when the Redskins didn't sign any uh, big-name free agents, you still had a faction of fans, including myself, saying, well, okay, Scott McLuhan's got a plan. Scott McLuhan's got a plan. And, um, you know, I think there's still a belief there that that's the case. And you get the vibe that, you know, he's not going to throw money around just to throw money around, but when a player does come up that he thinks can contribute and be a big contributor, he's willing to spend the money. And this Josh Norman signing was definitely kind of out of the blue and unexpected for him. In fact, when Josh Norman became a free agent, I never thought, I did not think the Redskins would be in play, but they were. And obviously that tells me um, that McLuhan and Gruden and Joe Barry looked at this guy and decided, yes, he's a good fit. And yes, let's go make him one of the highest played paid defensive players in the game. You know, the other thing 
is um you know you, you think about like the past like i said it's it, it was funny because on, on one hand it's like okay this is a genius move for the redskins to go out and get the best corner available taking advantage of an odd situation where it was a will he or won't he sign the franchise tender to okay you're off to sign whoever you want and the redskins scoop up kind of out of nowhere and and, and pick him up mm-hmm. and then again you know like i said before kind of dismissed as an you know like just off the just right off the cuff dismissed automatically because it's daniel snyder like you said playing fantasy football right. and just going out and getting whoever the hottest guy just happens to be yeah and i i like i said i think you'll find and it's slowly sleeping it's seeping in i think and the Redskins have to continue to show success i mean we're talking about a one-year you know, year where a one-year situation where they were able to pull together in the second half and, and win the division. Um, this has to become more of the norm. Now, that's somewhat hard to do in the NFL, but if Scott McLuhan can put together another um, team where, that goes out and is competitive and is in the running at the end of the year, um, I think you have to feel good about that uh, as, a te- as a fan so I think what the Redskins have already talked about, and Joe Barry has talked about this too, is putting Josh Norman in a position to succeed like he was in in Carolina. And I think they would have had to relay that message to him when they did their all-out blitz to sign him, including bringing his family and his whole entourage into Redskins Park. Um, you'd like to think that they were able to show him what their plans are for him. I will say Joe Barry's defense has already shown that it is somewhat flexible, and it is basically a hybrid of several different defenses. Um, and I think you'd like to think that the team now is smart enough to put their best free agent signee in the best position to win and not ask him to do something that he's never had to do before. Yeah, to try to the the whole square peg and round hole uh, type exactly. situation. So, um, you know, it's 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 funny that, that we're talking about McLuhan and, and – you know, like with the Redskins and and the reputation for them always going out and getting big uh, free agents, and regardless of whether they really needed them or not, the Redskins just went out and got them for some reason. Um, right. This was the first real big test for Ryan Pace in our off season because the Bears were third overall in cap space, and a lot of Bear fans thought that Pace was just going to go hog wild and throw money at whoever to try to bring him in. And even after the people that he did sign, he didn't go crazy with the, with the guaranteed money or the signing bonuses. And I think the Bears are like second and third still with over $20 million in in cap space. So, you know, like right. when you were saying Scott McLuhan has a plan, he's got a plan, he's got a plan. That's what I came away with with Ryan Pace. Like he's definitely got a plan if he's not throwing ninety million at Malik Jackson just because the Jaguars offered him eighty nine, so I gotta offer him ninety if I want him on my team. It's like, no, you go ahead and you sign that guy. I'm gonna go get Akeem Hicks for half that if or like a third of that money and, and all that kind of stuff. So I really come away with exactly. with with a certain feeling like McLuhan and, and Pace are kind of cut from the same cloth as far as that is concerned. And it could be. And, and you know, it's just one of those things, like, like I said, where, you know, McLuhan hasn't struck all on everything he's done. I mean, brought in Stephen Pye last year, um, and that didn't really pan out. Um, Ricky Jean Francois didn't have a huge impact. I mean, he was a good locker room guy, but not so much on the field. So it's not like he's, you know, batting a thousand here, but um, it does look like there's a plan you can kind of feel the difference on the team in in the atmosphere in the locker room and how the players are. Um, it's a good vibe right now. Now again, all this could melt away fast if you know, next year starts and Kirk Cousins isn't playing the same way he was 
and the defense has given up huge chunks of yards again, and Josh Norman uh, it can't defend anybody all of a sudden. All this could fall apart real quick. But for now, the team is definitely riding that wave of good vibes coming off of last season. And, um, you know, we'll just have to see how it plays out. And is the team also kind of riding the fact that they're not going to have to worry about the RG3 saga anymore? I mean, granted, that was a disastrous trade for the team. It didn't quite sink you as as big trades like that normally do, where you, you mortgage your franchise or the future of the franchise to make a selection like you did with RG3, giving up three first-round picks and things like that. I mean, you guys bounced back and won a division title uh, last year, but are, are are you as fans and you know maybe just the players in general, if you know, happy that that's over with and they can just worry about football this year? Oh, a huge sigh of relief for most. Now, what's interesting is the media around here is still obsessed with Robert Griffin III, so Anything he does or says in Cleveland um, gets bounced around Northern Virginia and D.C. and Maryland area. Um, he's still a hot topic of discussion and all sports radio and all the Twitter feeds. And everything he says is picked apart. But from a pure fan standpoint, I mean, yeah, I think you have to be relieved that that whole saga is over. Uh, I think he will always kind of hold a special place in Redskins fans' hearts for that 2012 season, which was magical. Yeah. Um, I know I still have my RG3 poster hanging on my wall. Um, so, I mean, he'll, he'll almost be kind of one of those players of war that 30 years from now he could make a visit to the new Redskins stadium and he'd probably get cheered because he had that one terrific year. Um, what was genius of Mike Shanahan that was completely picked apart uh, and what's kind of come out in the dirty laundry now that Griffin um, is gone is that Snyder was really the one pulling the trigger on the RG3 move. Um, and that Shanahan was not necessarily on board with that. So in the end, what he did was he got his guy in the fourth round, Kirk Cousins, and, you know, thank God for the Redskins because uh, otherwise they'd be up a creek because when you commit to a quarterback like that in the first round and you strike out, you're right, that is usually devastation. Um, But because they had this insurance policy that ended up panning out, um, it's almost like no harm, no foul. Yeah, we would have liked to have had those first-round picks. Um, the Rams, it turned out the Rams really weren't able to do much with those picks in the end. But um, but in the end, we have a quarterback in Kirk Cousins that a lot of people think can be elite or be in that top half of the league at least. And um, Griffin is uh, a lost soul in Cleveland right now. And just hoping – I do feel for the guy. I really hope that he can – I'd like to see him succeed up there. I, I, I would. Um, but, I mean, he couldn't play behind the line here in Washington. I don't know how he's going to play behind that line in Cleveland. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting uh, situation out there uh, for him. It, yeah, I mean, the, the Redskins are scheduled to play the Browns um, week four. fourth week of the season. Yeah. And I'm convinced that Griffin will already have been benched or knocked out for health reasons by that point. <laughs> I don't see any way he makes it. Yeah, Cleveland, what's – I mean – uh, did you did you happen to see that Believe Land documentary, the Thirty for Thirty that ESPN did? I did. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Did it not also make you feel completely depressed for Cleveland? It's like, does that city have absolutely anything going for it? And then, of course, a few weeks later, the Cavs win the win the NBA title. But it's right. just like, could I mean, is that where people go to die, Cleveland? I mean, it's just <laughs> like nothing good happens in Cleveland, and everything there was just disaster after another. I mean, if they yeah. aren't breaking their hearts in the playoffs. They're finishing dead last in everything. It's just like, oh, God, I feel so sad yeah. now. It's so 
Oh, that 30 for 30 was amazing. It was. It really was. It, it really was. They knocked it out of the park. They did, and they tend to do that. Um, they do a terrific job on those. But um, I, in a way, I was happy. I'm no LeBron James fan, but I was happy that Cleveland, the Cavaliers, were able to win that championship. Yeah. Um, just to kind of take the edge off. But, you know, there's a tie between Washington and Cleveland, and um, his name is Ernest Biner. And, uh, yeah. um, you know, he's a guy that has been um, a mainstay in the, kind of the D.C. area and in the Cleveland area. And he's been on our show. We do a show called The District on Thursday nights on ESPN. And he's been on our show a couple times. Nicest guy in the world. And his heart is really in two places, in Cleveland and Washington. And uh, it's funny because when you talk to him, you almost end up kind of rooting for the Browns, too, because you'd just like to see a little bit of success there. The people in Cleveland probably deserve that. Um, and, and like I said, in a way, you know, I, I wish RG3 success. I would love to see him go up there and turn on the magic again. I just don't see how it's going to happen. <laughs> I just don't see it. Yeah. But who knows? Like I said, who knows in this league? Yeah. I mean, not to mention, the, you know, the fact that it was like rats off a sinking ship, you know, the people leaving Cleveland in the offseason uh, this year. It's like, who do, who do they even have left now? No, exactly. I mean, Alex Mack leaves. Yeah, I don't know what Griffin's going to have to work with. Um, Josh Gordon's obviously not going to be there. Uh, I know they drafted a few guys in the dra- in, in the, in, at the wide receiver position, but still, it's just uh, one of those things. But to go back to answer your question, I think, yeah, there's a lot of relief here. I was telling um, uh, on my show, I was telling the guys I do the show with, this is the first time I can think of since Brad Johnson was the quarterback of the Redskins back in 2001 um, where there was really no doubt about who the starting quarterback was of this team. Um, and it's a nice feeling to have. You don't, we've never, in the, the, the DMV, the Washington DC area, we have not had that feeling since then. So this is a good off season that we've had where the biggest argument is, yeah, he's our quarterback. Do we keep him on the franchise tender or do we sign him to a long-term deal? I'll take that conversation all day long over who's going to be our quarterback. You know, that I don't, I don't want to see. What is the progress with the contract? Has he signed the tender yet? Uh, I, I haven't heard or not. Oh, he signed it the day he could. The okay. very first day he was eligible to sign it, he came into Redskins Park and signed that deal. Okay, he cool. He has said, uh, again, this guy is almost too good to be true. From a personality <laughs> standpoint, he's, he's highly involved in charity. He's the nicest guy in the world, almost to, to a goofy extent. Um, but uh, he has said on multiple occasions, yes, he'd like a long-term deal, but he understands that he has to earn it, and he's happy to, to spend this year earning his money. I don't know how many players you'll hear say that. Um, so, I mean, again, just a super good guy. Um, and you, you want to see him succeed. I think um, the, the, the biggest issue with him going into last season as, as a potential starter, as, as, as the fans watched and the media watched RG3 struggle, was will Kirk Cousins turn back into the guy he was in his first and second year where he would get – stage fright almost he, he would kind of collapse in the biggest stage when defenses started showing pressure he would just unravel and start throwing the ball to the other team he showed last year that he could make it through a full season basically not doing that and um you know that that was the biggest question mark he's got everything else he's got the size he's got the arm strength he's smart enough could he get rattled and last year he made it through the season pretty much not getting rattled. And that's what you love to see if you want to see the team speed. 
yeah, pretty much did a better job evading traffic in the pocket than the quote unquote more mobile RG three did when he was back there, and it just seemed like he's he's a much cooler customer in the pocket than RG three uh, turned out to be. I think Griffin's biggest issue, and I've said this for the last couple of years now, he's also smart. He's obviously got some athleticism. He's got the cannon. Um, what his biggest issue has been and continues to be is his decision-making. And he took a lot of sacks because he would get that snap and stand there and stand there and stand there. And um, if you look back at film of him last season uh, in the playoff, I'm sorry, in the preseason, he was really good at throwing to receivers who were wide open. Um, he never led them open. He never threw to a spot necessarily and let the receiver get to that spot. And that was his biggest issue. Kirk Cousins has shown, especially in Jay Gruden's offense, the ability to make those quick decisions, to throw to a spot, to lead the receiver, to get those yards after catch, um, and, to, and to really um, almost to the point now where this season in the, in the mini camps, they've expanded what his audibles can be now. Um, and, and, and it's just looking like a good so – the, from an offensive standpoint, they look at their, like they're in a good place. Um, Cousins is being much more vocal. He's taking that leadership role, which he didn't have the opportunity to do last year because he was splitting sna- uh, snaps with Griffin. So, I mean, for, again, if you're a fan of this team, you're eating this up because this is not something that the D.C. area has had in a long time. So the expectations are fairly uh, off the charts right now. I think a lot of people think the Redskins will be competitive next year. Moving on to the um, off season. We talked a bit about uh, Josh Norman and how, for the most part, the Redskins, along with everybody except for the Giants in the division, kind of stood firm in, in free agency. Didn't make any really big splashes. I think the only other real name that you guys signed was adding Vernon Davis to that tight end core uh, that you have to kind of bookend with with Jordan Reed. Um, going into the draft, what was was there a strategy before the Josh Norman sighting, and, and did Josh Norman signing change it? Because I don't remember what the Redskins were projected as far as like what the mock drafts had, but I don't believe it had them taking a wide receiver uh, in the first round. Not at all. And a lot of the um, prognosticators had them either taking offensive linemen um, or a corner or a safety. So when Josh Norman fell into their laps, uh, a lot of those mock drafts had to be changed because they were, they were not going to take a corner uh, in the first round. Now, I honestly didn't think they were going to take Josh Dotson in the first round either. I didn't see that coming. Uh, it does really kind of go to what Scott McLuhan said all along to anyone who would listen. I'm going to take the best player available. And so apparently, you know, they liked what they saw in Dotson. He's guy who's six foot two, has flashes of Odo Beckham, and you look at his college uh, videos. Um, can go up and make the big catch um, if he can stay healthy. He had, he had a wrist issue in college last year, broke his wrist. Uh, he's missed a little bit of minicamp um, in OTAs uh, because of his foot. He's had some different Achilles issues and whatnot, but um, nothing nothing earth-shattering where he's going to miss time, but they were just being really careful with him. So, yeah, I think um, to, to see that happen and, and, and be unexpected, again, it was another situation where – as a fan, as an outsider looking in, you're going, well, that doesn't make any sense, but Scott McLuhan did it, so it must be okay. Uh, and that's where really a lot of us are um, from a media and fan standpoint. Um, so, so, you know, to do that, um, 
you're thinking, okay, well, at some point, surely they've got to draft also. Another another big area of concern was defensive line. And you're thinking, surely they'll take a defensive line high. Uh, they didn't do that either. So, you know, some fans were a little upset about that. But um, the next uh, pick they did after that, where they ended up getting Sua Cravens, uh, I think a lot of fans liked that pick because he can play linebacker slash safety. And so that kind of helped shore up that safety position that a lot of people were convinced, you know, we needed help with. Uh, the other thing that I, that I didn't know about the, or the, what, as far as what, you know, McLuhan has a plan was when I was, when I was getting ready for the interview and brushing up on the, on the skins, uh, Doxon can also kind of be an insurance pick because both Jackson and uh, like Garcon are going into contract years this Absolutely. year so it's like Doxon will be there to replace one of them you know if they leave absolutely uh and, and so again it's another one of those picks that you don't expect to see but then when you kind of look at it and you think about it you go hmm that does actually make sense uh and I think uh, the consensus is and I hate to say it because um I like the guy a lot uh, but most fans at this point think it's going to be Pierre Garcon who's the odd man out after this season um but, uh, you know, you just don't know. So, yes, it is good to have that insurance policy. Um, and even from a playing standpoint, Deshaun Jackson did miss some games last year with his hamstring. Um, he's always kind of, uh, you know, he tends to miss, uh, you know, three to four games a season. So, you know, it's nice to have that insurance policy. And then in the end, too, what, um, what McLuhan was able to do in those first three rounds was he really was able to get three players who had first-round grades on a lot of publications, um, and at a good at, at a good spot because the third-round pick they got was in Kendall Fuller, cornerback out of Tech, who everyone agreed had first-round talent. And his biggest issue coming in was with knee injuries. Uh, his knee is 100% a go. So if everyone knew that was going to be the case, he probably would have been a higher pick. So you come away with the first three rounds with three guys who can pretty much come in. And you can pretty much guarantee they're going to be contributors uh that's a pretty good draft yeah yeah definitely uh definitely uh would agree with that now what is the running back situation like for the skins because uh, alfred morris is gone and i don't see one there wasn't really anybody that replaced him and in the draft it was a seventh round pick so i doubt he's going to come in and replace alfred morris so what's what's left after he left it's a huge question mark um, and the, the team is going in with the expectation that Matt Jones is going to be their starter. Uh, I actually wasn't real clear on how they were handling this because while Matt Jones was really the only one that could possibly handle being that quote-unquote every down back, or at least first and second down back, um, I wasn't sure if they were going to make it more of an open competition uh, I had uh, Robert Kelly on, on my show, who um, is a rookie, undrafted rookie out of Tulane. And, and the reason I had him on was he was turning some heads in some of the mini camps with his speed and vision. Of course, you're, you know, you got shorts on, so no one's really tackling or anything like that. But um, I had him on the show, and, um, and one of the things he said was uh, the team has made it very clear that Matt Jones is the starter, and everyone else is vying for backup time. So, you know, I, I kind of, uh, in a way, I, I was surprised to hear that. But in another way, I like it in the sense that it seems like they have a lot of confidence in him. One of his biggest issues outside of injury was fumbling the ball. He had four fumbles last year. They all seem to be at inopportune times. Um, but he's got power. 
He's got speed. He's, he's kind of reminds me of Marshawn Lynch um, in a way. Um, maybe it's just the hair, but it's not just the hair. <laughs> he, he has those physical traits. Um, but after Matt Jones, you know, you have Chris Thompson who's coming back um, from Florida State. Um, but he's a third down back, and he's really good at that. But he's just not big enough to be your kind of first and second down back. And then uh, the, another guy um, that I would look at, and I think the team is kind of excited about, and you mentioned uh, him, the seventh-round pick, Keith Marshall. Um, this was a guy that was in that Georgia backfield that was just uh, steeped with, with competition. Uh, was, he was you know, supposed to be one of their big contributors until he got injured, and he was really never healthy uh, enough there to show what he could do. Yeah, he was supposed to be the – I'm sorry. He was supposed to be like the heir apparent to Todd Gurley, wasn't he? Yes, and it just never worked out that way. He hurt his knee, and then he never really got back on the field. And when he did, he was more of a part-time player. All he did was run the fastest 40 time at the combine of any other running back. Wow. And then when you do do look at his film and his footage of when he did play at Georgia, he showed a lot. He showed quick vision, quick cutting ability. I mean – he looked like a home run threat. So whether or not he could stay healthy is a whole other issue. But I think if you had to pick one position where I felt the most unsure about the team, it's the running back position because you really just don't know what you're going to get there. Which is kind of funny considering how how much of a run-oriented team the Redskins were until they kind of shifted gears midseason last year and turned it over to Kirk Cousins. And Absolutely. And once they started doing that, that's when the wind started piling up. Once they kind of put it in Kirk Cousins' hands, uh, and stopped trying to force the run, it almost seemed like it worked. <laughs> and it, didn't, it, it did work. And it almost seemed like the team really started getting their swagger at that point. Um, and it was funny because you know, normally when you, watch, when you watch the NFL, you really feel like you need to see a team that has good balance. And the run sets up the pass, and the pass sets up the run. Well, the Redskins, it's just not the case. It wasn't last year anyway. When they made that run in the last eight games of the season, everyone knew they were passing the ball. And they did it just really well, and no one could stop it. So when you have Jordan Reed running down the seam, and you've got a healthy Garcon and a healthy Jackson, and then you add a Vernon Davis and a Josh Dotson, and you have a returning Jamison Crowder, who was one of the top rookie receivers last year, there's just a lot of weapons. Um, and so it's almost like how much does the running game really need to contribute because the passing attack is so good? Yeah, don't get me started on, on that because in, in our game last year, it was, you know, it was just sick. I mean, it made me sick anyway. I'm sure you enjoyed the <laughs> hell out of it was, um, you know, it's like they do realize Jordan Reed is out on the field, right? Because at one point, I think Kurt Cousins to him was like eight targets for eight catches and like two or three touchdowns for Jordan Reed. It's like, we haven't figured this out yet, guys. I mean, come on, really? Vic Fangio, I can't understand this. It's like if it was still Mel Tucker calling the defensive plays, I can see us ignoring Jordan Reed because the guy was just an idiot. But Vic Fangio, the genius that he is, we can't figure out how to cover Jordan Reed because the guy killed us in that game. Yeah, and if it makes you feel any better, the Bears weren't the only one that felt that. Um so, I mean, he's a guy that's hard to cover. You cannot cover him with a linebacker. You cannot do it. And, and do you, even if you put a cornerback on him, he's too big. He'll win that jump ball every time. So what really happened last year for Jordan Reed was he stayed healthy. He quit having those injury concerns that have marred his career. And he, now that he's been paid, the Redskins are hoping that that continues. 
um, because, honestly, there's only been one season that he's been able to prove that it's the case. But when he is healthy and when he is playing, he has an entirely different dimension to the Redskins, almost like a Gronkowski for the Patriots. It's just hard to stop. So as we start to wrap things up here, um, you know, we started the conversation talking about how last year when we had this when we had this talk previewing the 2015 Redskins, McLuhan's on one timeline, Gruden's on another, you know, and then the season just seemed to really work out and things kind of came together. Are 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 McLuhan and, and Gruden are they a team now, or is it if Gruden comes out and has a five and eleven season, then he's gone and McLuhan's going to bring in his own guy? Uh, you know, a five and eleven season. I think Dan Snyder is going to want to have a meeting, and uh, who knows what will happen. Um, what I can tell you though, uh, and I said in jest, obviously at the beginning of this, because no, I never thought what happened last year would happen. Um, they have become a team, and it's funny because when you hear Scott McLuhan talk. He talks about their relationship and how they do fight and argue to the point where he met, and this was a quote from him, some people in the organization at times thought they would come to blows because they have these discussions where they get so heated about whether it's the draft or who to bring on as a free agent. Personally, I love that. I love that attitude. I love that passion. And if the two of them can make it work, and honestly, if you would have had me pick who's going to outlast the other – of course, I would have said McLuhan's going to be here much longer than Gruden. But that was because I didn't know what, if any, relationship they would have. Well, it turned out that they have a good relationship and one where they, I think, both respect and value each other's opinions. And there's, there's just uh, so many tremendous stories. Um, when you look back in the Redskins' heyday when it was Bobby Beathard and Joe Gibbs and Jack Kent Cook, right. and the fights and the arguments they would have over what was going to happen, who was going to who was going to win out on the, whatever decision they were trying to make. And it reminded me when McLuhan said that of those stories. So, you know, I love that there's this passion. I love that there's discussion. I love it's not just, well, what does Dan Snyder think? Um, and, and I think the more football minds you have making these decisions and hashing these decisions out, I think the better success you're going to have. Now, just, to, you know, the, looking at the schedule here, um, the NFL put together quite a schedule for you guys this year, and I'm not really even talking about the gauntlet of teams or anything. You got both North divisions, the NFC North, the AFC North um, this year, but looking at it, you start three out of four at home, then back that up with three out of four on the road, then you got a bye week right in the middle of the season, week nine, same as the Bears. Then right. you got two home games, three on the road, in a time span where it's going to be almost a month before the Redskins are at, at FedEx Field again. Uh, their last Sunday, November 20th, and then they aren't home again until Monday, December the 19th. And then they finish two out of three uh, at home. Is it, I mean, did, did they piss somebody off or something to have this kind of just completely whacked out schedule that they have this year? It's, it's brutal. It's a brutal schedule. Schedule. I mean, especially when you, I mean, the one benefit um, when they go to London to play the Bengals, um, one of the things I was happy about was that is considered a home game for the Bengals and didn't right. take away a home game for the Redskins. Um, they have that bye week, of course, but what's just so killer is that schedule right around um, Thanksgiving. Um, I mean, to play a Sunday night game, a game on November 20th at 8:30 with the Packers and then have to go back and play on the road in Dallas 
then then hit that three game away stretch it, to come back home to play the Panthers. Uh, that is going to be at, you know it's one of those things where you always look at a schedule before the season starts and you go oh well that looks tough and that'll be hard and who knows maybe Aaron Rodgers breaks his arm and he's not the car, the quarterback for the Packers at that point or one can only hope dude from from your <laughs> exactly. lips to so, God's ears on something like that man well, <laughs> that would just <laughs> please lord so, I was like I don't I don't wish Aaron Rodgers any ill will but if he could just fracture his elbow and be out of the out for the season. <laughs> You know, give right. the Bears an honest shot at this thing. I would really appreciate that. Right. Well, no, I mean, that's the thing. Like, so we're comparing this schedule to how teams performed last year and what we expect. Right. So all of this could look different, you know, and then I'm preaching to the choir here on this. But you're right. The Redskins, and maybe it's that first place schedule. I get it. But the, the schedule makers did them no favors. And, you know, the last two times, three times, really, the Redskins made the playoffs because they made a late run strung together some consecutive victories in the second half of the season. It looks like it's going to be very hard for this team to do that. They are going to have to play at their best and hope for some lucky bounces and some good luck because the schedule is doing them no favors. Yeah, I mean, four out of six on the road to finish the year, um, you know, that's that's definitely going to be a tough uh, tough road to hoe. You know, you got the you got the Panthers at home, on the road to Chicago and then home for the Giants to finish out the year. That's a tough three-game stretch to finish, and that's after you and that's after that three-game road stretch that you guys go right. on at Dallas, at Arizona, which is really going to be you know those cross-country trips are kind to no one, no matter which direction you're going in. West coasters always have trouble on the East Coast. East coasters always have trouble on the West Coast for some reason. Yep. You know that trip really kind of takes the juice out of a team and then you got to go over to to Philadelphia one of the most hostile environments in football you know in that three-game stretch it's going to be tough before they finally reach the comfort at home only to to play you know last year's defending (laughs) NFC champion so yeah it's it's not an easy road to hoe for the Redskins at all there towards the end of the year no and one of the things they're not going to be able to do this year um that they have seemed to do is open poorly they got to take the wins they are supposed to have in the first half of the season um, because they know once, I mean, to me, really things all fall apart once you end up going out to, to England to play the Bengals. That is where everything starts. Uh, the Redskins are notorious, even without having to travel over to London, they're notorious for coming out flat after a bye week. And uh, they, they literally cannot do that this year if they want to be a contender. It's going to be that week eight through weeks 15 that's going to be uh everything and it's either going to make or break them and um you know who knows it'll be fun to see and that's when we'll have you back on week 16 uh just going into that uh, second to last week of the season uh the skins will be heading up to soldier field to uh to meet the bears i mean we'll pretty much have all the answers to all our questions at that point you know what the bears are going to do in 2016 what the redskins are up to like are we going to be having a conversation about the 2017 draft and free agency or (laughs) are we both going to be like dude i can't wait to see you in the wild card round we're really going to take it to you or you know whatever the case may be it's like we're playing for home field advantage in the playoffs in this game you know on sunday let's hope we're having a conversation like that and not like well the bears need a linebacker and they could go (laughs) for a guard and you know jay cutler's obviously done so we got to trade our future away to get a new quarterback and all that kind of stuff so hopefully it'll be a much much friendlier conversation 
than uh, than than what uh, you know. Even similar to the one that we had this year, where both yeah. you know the Redskins were still in it, but only by the grace of God in a terrible division were they still in it at that point. You know, and obviously the Bears were way out of it at that point. So let's have yeah, a, a well, more optimistic conversation to have at the end of the season this year. I agree. I hope we're not we're not discussing who 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 has to lose to who for our team to get a better draft pick. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if we win this game, we're going to be seven. But if we lose, we'll be three. So I'm kind of right. you know kind of hoping that uh, Kirk Cousins and Jordan Reed have a great day on Sunday. So yeah. you know that's just that's just me though. I hear you. So. But Mike, thanks so much uh, for uh, for coming on the show. And um, what's this the show, the district? And can you people get that online or? Absolutely, um, it's called the district. We do it every week, usually on Thursday nights. Um, they can find it on ESPN980.com. They can go back and listen to every show we've done. We're on our second season now. Get a lot of good players to come on the show. We've gone on location. So check it out. It's not just Redskins. It's all things DC sports. So if any of your listeners are into that. Um, uh, hopefully they can check us out. All right. And Mark Harar from, from Hogshaven on SB Nation, thanks so much for being on the show to help us preview the 2016 Redskins. Thanks so much for having me. I'll talk to you. I look forward to talking to you next time. So once again, I want to thank our guest, Mike Carrar from Hogshaven.com uh, for being on the show and uh, look forward to having him on week 16, you know, be a long time before we get a chance to talk to him again. Today is July the 1st. That game between the Bears and the Redskins is scheduled for Christmas Eve, December 24th. So we got uh, almost five months, hell, almost six months, actually, before we get a chance to talk to him again. And, uh you know, a lot's going to happen between now and the next time that we get to chat with Mike. And um, like I said there at the end, it's uh, we're definitely going to know what we've got between our two teams. So, you know, going into week 16, the season is pretty much decided as far as like whether it's a success or a failure. So we'll definitely know. Will, you know, all of Ryan Pace's moves be good? Will Kirk Cousins have responded well to, you know, having the year that he had the year before? Is he a fluke? You know, is Colt McCoy the starting quarterback in in, Was in, in Washington when they come to Soldier Field on Christmas Eve? Only time will tell, and we look forward to being able to answer those questions. Now, right before I say goodbye to you guys here, a couple of quick announcements. Number one, the Bears did make a roster move today. Actually, after I got done talking to Mike, I got a, uh, a notice on the, that the, the Bears picked up a quarterback off the waiver wire, Connor Shaw. Uh, quarterback from the Cleveland Browns. Uh, the Bears picked him up off of waivers uh, today, and because they were under the 90-man uh, roster limit, they didn't have to cut anybody uh, to add him onto the team. So, uh, you know, now we've got at least four quarterbacks going into uh, into training camp right now. we got uh, Hoyer and Cutler, obviously, uh, the kid from Dartmouth whose name is escaping me at the moment, and uh, now Connor Shaw so I, I would think that right now Connor Shaw has got to be the leading man to be the number three quarterback if the Bears in fact are going to carry three so we'll see how that uh, all turns out now like I said this does close the book on the NFC East same place opponents AFC South NFC East done in the can now it's time to move on to the to the final stretch 
We start with the NFC North shows, and we're going from worst to first. Unfortunately, we were worst last year, but we're going to save us because we're not the worst. We're the best. You save the best for last. So we're going to start with the actual worst, which would be the stinking Detroit Lions and our good friend Jeremy Reisman. Um, you know, he's a good dude. It's just unfortunate he happens to cheer for that squad. Uh, otherwise, you know, otherwise we'd probably get along great. But uh, anyway, then we're going to have Evan Western uh, from Acme Packing Company on SB Nation to talk about the Packers and then wrapping up the division with Chris Gates and the defending champion Minnesota Vikings to uh, to go through uh, those three teams. And then, like I said, uh, we'll see what I can cook up for a Bears preview uh, to wrap up the 14 preview show so this is number 10 in the can when we start with the nfc north it'd be number 11 with the detroit lions 12 with the packers 13 for the minnesota vikings before we close things up with our beloved chicago bears so lots to look forward to the time between now and the point of the season or the point of the year that we're actually looking for gets closer and closer every single time so uh, just, uh, you know, just grin and bear it. No pun intended. Grin and bear it, guys. The wait is almost over. So we'll be back in a few days with Jeremy Reisman and the Detroit Lions. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax. 
the way car buying should be. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So, do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.